Welcome to the Secrets of High Demand Coaches podcast, where I interview some of the best coaches in the business to find their secrets and share them with the world. I'm Scott Ritzheimer, founder and CEO of Scale Architects, and we help founders and leaders find the right coach at the right time so they can achieve the predictable success they deserve. And a huge part of that is helping great coaches do great work that creates enormous demand for their services with way less effort. If you're a high demand coach, I'd absolutely love to share your story and expertise as well. So stick around to the end of the show and we'll reveal how you can be our next guest in 15 to 20 minutes. Let's go. Hello, hello, and welcome. Welcome once again to the Secrets of the High Demand Coach podcast. And I am here with yet another high demand coach, and that is Catherine McCord, who went from being a little girl who sold shares in her company and even played HR, firing her own mother, by the way, to the traveling entrepreneur and speaker that she is now. Catherine has had quite a journey. She currently lives in Florida and runs a company called Titan Management, which she founded in 2014 with the purpose of shaking up HR and recruiting. People operations and inclusion have become her passions, and she's dedicated her life to innovating and growing them. Her missions are integrity, inclusion, and innovation, and she travels the world and the globe evangelizing them. Well, Catherine, so excited to have you here. So excited to dive into the work that you're doing uh, in the HR recruiting space. And uh, before we get to all that, though, I'd love to just tell us your story. What were you doing before getting into HR consulting and how did that lead you to make the leap? Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited uh, to be here with you and your audience today. So I always enjoyed the world of business. From the time I was very young, I started working at 15. Uh, first job was as a car hop at Sonic. And I figured out actually new ways to do that to get myself more money more and you know better uh, better rec recognition and things like that. So I kind of always had that mindset of how can we do things better? How can we you know, improve upon this, make things more efficient, more effective and make more money, right? So uh, that started very young. I did a lot of work with startup organizations that kind of became uh, a draw for me because I liked that I could have my hands in a whole lot. There was a lot more contribution to be made and it was just fun, right? I mean, you've I'm sure you've been around startups. It's it's always something crazy, right? Always something changing at the last minute. Um, so it's just a lot of a lot of adventure. So for somebody who is um, who is neurodiverse like myself, which just means I have a medically visible or diagnosable difference in how I process information, that just it just works beautifully. So I did that for many years. I ended up working with a startup that was a recruiting agency. Uh, I loved the field of work, but I didn't like how they did it. Um, this is just personal preference, not trying to knock them. And with the owner's blessing, a year later, I struck out on my own and started Titan. So and I'd done HR stuff in the past and also it just kind of all spiraled and here we are today. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. So if we fast forward to today, uh, what would you say is some of the most important work you're doing for your clients? Oh, gosh. Teaching them that just because something is always the way that it's been done doesn't mean that that's an effective way to do it yes. <laughs> or even or even 
uh, a way that involves integrity. You know, we we try to have to break that that mindset and and get out of things and and just do things the best way as opposed to the comfortable way. So I think that's kind of the the best lesson. The second one is that inclusion isn't scary, and inclusion isn't something that um, that we should do because we don't want to get canceled. It's it's not only part of integrity; it's part of building a profitable and effective company. And there's there's so much data out there to back it up, including a beautiful study released by Hewlett Packard. Um, and so just teaching those lessons to these companies and helping them to get the mindset right is really the biggest part of my work overall. Yeah. And and, and that's uh, so important because you know, most folks that are out there, I mean, I work with lots of business owners and, and leaders and they're wonderful people. There's jerks everywhere, right? But it's not like this, it's kind of, you know, Hollywood stereotype of the, the evil business person. You know, that's not what's going on. <laughs> no. But it's just really wonderful people who want to do uh, uh, right by, you know, by all their stakeholders, from shareholders yes. down to uh, the clients and, and their communities. But they're so busy. There's so many things fighting for their attention. How do you help them recognize when uh, when inclusion is not just another should do, but it's actually part of the solution? Right. So part of what I teach them is, uh, you know, to, to whenever possible, just go ahead and design with inclusion in mind, because that just sets you up for success. A lot of organizations, that's actually the fail. It's not a lack of intent or desire very much to your point, right? It's not that they're bad humans. They just don't know how to properly design for inclusion. So showing them that and then showing them how it's actually going to help them and help their stakeholders uh, often helps to kind of shift the priority. And and one of the main ways that it does is that the more inclusive you are and the more diverse you are, it has to be both. So you have to have the, the psychological safety for people to then contribute um, in, in an accurate and um, fulfilling way and without fear of reprisal or being shut down or any of that. So uh, when you do that, it, it gives a better voice for your customers too, because they represent your customers, right? right. So it's it's really a, a beautiful system that that works for every facet of the business. I mean, even down to like I said, the profits. I mean, Boston Consulting Group uh, released a study so, saying that once you're truly inclusive, your profits go up an average of nineteen percent. Wow. Well, that's pretty substantial. So you want yeah. that, right? So it's just learning to design that way and learning to truly embrace the feedback that people give you. Because one of the main things that entrepreneurs do is somebody will say, "Hey, you know, there's." this isn't really inclusive. We could do it this way and it would be, and people just dismiss it. Or they go, oh no, we think it is. You're just being weird. You know, <laughs> they just kind of keep going, you know, not realizing like, hold on, wait a minute. We need to listen to this. We need to pay attention to this and just make a little pivot. So learning to be flexible. That's the thing I work with people on is perpetually be flexible, perpetually grow. Don't set something in stone and go, this is how we do it. That's it. That's the end. Yeah. Always be flexible and ready to go. That's so good. Now, one of the things that, especially in the um, last 20 or so years, you know, good to great or great or built, uh, what is it, built to last onward, right? Jim Collins and some of the, the early thinkers on kind of culture and values and everything. Uh, how do you help um, uh, groups that are diverse, uh, you know, in, in all the different facets, how, how do you help them find that common thread that gives the the identity of the group as a whole? How do you help get that togetherness and diversity in the same in the same room? Really, it's very simple. The only thing that you should ever be concerned about in terms of building a um, 
a mutually beneficial culture is mission, right? As long as you're, you have mission alignment, that's it. Nothing else needs to be in alignment. Uh, you don't need to agree on politics. You don't need to like doing the same things. Team building stuff is nonsense. I have a whole other speech about that. <laughs> mission alignment and making sure that we're all on board and excited about where we're trying to go, right? That's it. That's what you have to do. And when you have that, then the rest of it just kind of comes together. Well, uh, so in your your, your bio there, uh, you, you jumped into HR and recruiting space because it needed to get shaken up. Well, what what needs to be shaken up? Well, there a few things. First of all, our technology is embarrassing, and and HR is just it's so far behind. For instance, the applicant tracking system, which was designed, uh, it's kind of the CRM for people who don't know uh, for HR, right? This kind of houses all the applicants. And those haven't really advanced much since they were created in the 90s in answer to to the job boards, which is nuts, just insane. The the same basic design is there. Uh, The resume needs to get fired. It's been proven ineffective time and time and time again through multiple studies, including by Harvard, LinkedIn, and uh, Stanford also did did one on this. And it's just horrible. It creates bias. It's just not an effective way to represent people. Um, And then also the fact that the human resources needs to be taking care of the people. That's why we're shifting kind of, you've seen probably the shift to calling it people operations as opposed to human resources. And so we need to start focusing on helping and cultivating the people and working with them as they are, not trying to make everybody fit into a little box because it does no good to hire all these diverse people and say, okay, now everybody work exactly the same way. Well, that's counterproductive, right? (laughs) It doesn't even make any sense. So um, it's like looking at a lion and say, here, go be a good whale. Like what? (laughs) That makes no sense. Right. So, so, um, so really those are kind of the main, the main things. So the tech has got to go, the resume's got to go. And then we've got to start focusing and on taking care of the people that should be the job of HR. Yeah, that's so good. Uh, And uh, some of what has uh, uh, been, I would say, some of the more positive benefits of the COVID pandemic, if we can say it that way, uh, are that it's it's given us the impetus for change in some of these areas. So yes. you know, there was this kind of dramatic, like everyone's at home and engaged, everyone's at home and disengaged, like a lot of the numbers bounced around through, especially the early days of the pandemic, as things are starting to level off and, you know, dare I say the new normal, but what are what would you say are some of the permanent changes that are here to stay in people operations as a result of the pandemic? I would say inclusion's not going anywhere. Uh, the public has started outright at every group. I mean, everybody is has in some way of shape or form uh, is crying out for it, and and they're like, hey, look, we need to be fixing this, and we need to be working in ways that are better for everybody. So that's one thing that's not going anywhere. You know, buckle up, folks. This is just it. Um, another one is, that I think is is just wonderful is that now we're starting to pay a lot more attention to education, which is fantastic. And uh, really understanding that that's part of growth. And that's something I started learning over the years, interviewing people, is that you know, a lot of people say, well, what, you know, they'll ask somebody, what matters to you? Or what do you want in your next job? And when people say growth, when the candidate answers growth, the assumption for years has been that you meant promotion, but that's not it. A lot of people, when you ask them to get specific, they want to learn. They want to they want to improve their skill set. And so companies have started doing this. They've started realizing that this is something that matters and it's something that's really booming and that's taking off. Um, 
more creative benefits and more variety in benefits has, have really come to light. I think that's spectacular. And then the other one, and oh man, some companies are really fighting back on this one right now. They're trying to, is remote work. Um, it, it's folks that the candidates aren't going to give it up. I am watching people go, I think, turn down jobs left and right because the company wants to insist they come into the office. Right now, I just saw a post this morning and it had you know all the studies and all of this uh, from LinkedIn on this data. So over 70% of people are saying they want to work from home, but only 17% of jobs on LinkedIn are offering work from home. Wow. Companies, figure it out. <laughs> you know? Wow. Uh, it's crazy, right? Like that's such a huge disparity. <laughs> I'm still trying to wrap my mind around that. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, there was a question in, in what you just said that I want to come back to. And, uh, oh, the encouraging side of the redefinition of growth is I, I would argue it's actually easier to provide the type of growth that's wanted now than it was. You know, with so many yeah. companies, big and small, you kind of had this dead man's shoes promotion strategy, right? It's like once somebody's out, you know, the next person can, you, you only got the next role up when that role was right. vacated. But there's not that same to an extent, zero sum game in training and development right. and skills. And so why, though, do you think it's still so hard for executive teams to get behind that definition of growth, even when you could argue it's in their advantage? Because so many people have this very backward mindset that the only way to be successful is to get promoted and make you know, tons of more money and have this very impressive title. That's completely backwards. And I have a whole other speech about, you know, why we were looking at all of this very backwards anyway. It's all just different skill sets. I don't think an, at a CEO is any more important than the ground level employee um, or any more talented even necessarily. It's just different, you know, and we have this idea that executives are better than floor managers. Completely disagree with that. So, but we have this, this mindset that we have to get an impressive title and make more money in order to grow. And that's not it. Or that that's what's important in a career. Well, there's nothing wrong with being amazing at what you do. And you know, that you just love what you do. Uh, you see this a lot with like nurses and, and medical professionals. You see it with IT people. A lot of developers don't want to do anything other than develop, but they want to be really good at that. And that that trickles into over prof other professions as well. So to your point, it's wonderful because it's so much easier now to give people what they want and to, and by the way, free and all on occasion, like there's tons of free um, courses that you can send people to, cheap, free to cheap certifications that you can give people um, using sites like Allison, Udemy, shoot, even Stanford University has some free online stuff they do from time to time. So check that out. Um, but it really is just breaking this mindset that you're so much cooler if you're an executive and that that's the only way to hit success. We need to redefine success. And 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 the flip side of that is that employees feel that same way as well, right? There there are folks who who don't want a management role. They don't want to do anything right. that a manager does, but they want the title they because that's kind of what's been baked into into what they've been taught as well. So how do we help uh, not even that it's you know a manager's job with this, but how how can we collectively help coach people out of it's not about the next promotion, it's about something else. Yeah, it's about success in in what you're great at, right? And and what matters to you. So I think rewarding things other than promotion. 
So recognizing excellent jobs, recognizing someone who's gotten that certification, uh, maybe changing their title uh, or putting you know some kind of um, recognition next to their title, I think is a great way to do that. But celebrating that, we forget to celebrate these wonderful things that people do. You know, like if somebody completes a project that helps you land a big client that makes the company millions, why are you not celebrating that? Why are you not telling like like having a little party for them or you know sending out something in the company newsletter about how awesome they did? Celebrate these things. That just makes such a difference. And and um, and encouraging that and not treat again going back to the not treating people as less than because they they don't want to move to this other thing and have to deal with the humans right but they just want to be really great where they are so i think celebration and uh, changing the cultural mindset and, and telling people you are amazing at what you do and this is not only enough we celebrate it yeah yeah that's so good uh i've i've held for a while that culture is what you compensate communicate and celebrate it is every yeah. bit as equal uh, and as important uh, and I, I love that you brought that point because I think, yeah, and I've been guilty of this some more times than I can count, but it's like, we're ready to take the next hill. All we yeah. need to do is just stand there and celebrate the one that we're on, uh, right. at, you know, and both at, at the company level, but also at an individual level. Yeah. Uh, I, I want to touch on something you brought up earlier. Uh, and, and, and I saw it as I was doing some research, this idea of neurodiversity. Yeah. And, and the question I have is why should CEOs and business leaders be paying attention to neurodiversity? Well, number one, they probably have it. So there's a lot, there's a lot of information. In fact, I published uh, some of the some of the data on this uh, on on one of my sites that a lot of entrepreneurs have neurodiversity. First of all, including some very famous ones such as the founders of Hewlett Packard, Stephen Hawking, Richard Branson, um, Steve Jobs, so on and so forth. Um, it's it's really just something that's very prevalent in their communities that may help them to learn about themselves, but also because neurodiversity it it creates wonderful wonderful results when utilized properly but you have to let people work in a way that's natural to them so hewlett-packard did this study where they they created a neurodiversity cultivation program in honor of their founders and so didn't just hire for neurodiversity which is some examples would be um cerebral palsy autism adhd bipolar obsessive compulsive disorder is a very broad uh, spectrum so they not only hired for this, but they cultivated it because science, and you can look this up in the National Institute of Health, National Library of Medicine, Harvard, so on and so forth, psychology today, neurodiversity science has started to catch up and realize that there are many benefits to this. So like innovation, um, hyper uh, hyper analytics, uh, you can have 3D model thinking, so on and so forth. So Hewlett Packard cultivated all this and they said, what do you need in order to be comfortable? What do you, how do you want to work? Whatever it is you want to do, do it. And when they did that, productivity went up and so high that that team became 33% more productive than their counterparts. Wow. Their their innovation went up, their employee uh, satisfaction went up, the health of the employees went up, and ultimately, of course, their profits and customer satisfaction increased as well. So they need to be paying attention to this because this is what's going to accelerate their company in ways that they never saw possible. But you have to not only uh, hire for it, you have to then cultivate it and let people work in ways that are comfortable and natural to them. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's it's remarkable. I mean, uh, most folks, you give them that list, especially if you were to put it on to, to, to your point earlier, stick it on a resume, right? Those aren't necessarily <laughs> the best like uh, resume treatments. Um, and it would terrify a lot of folks, but but you're right. There, there is a genius inside of that. There, there okay. is, you know, in the same way that we're looking for diversity across all these other spectra, if you will, mm-hmm. doing it from a, just the way that folks think uh, is is so important. We have it in our family, and so we get to see it firsthand. And and both the the positive side of it, but also the negative side. And more often than not, our experience has been the greater world tries to fix it instead yeah. of instead of letting it uh, letting it be and letting it breathe. So I right. love. Love both the study and and your mission there. Thank you. Yeah, I I'm in love with that. I actually was able a couple of months ago to speak to some United Nations delegates about neurodiversity and sustainability. And one of the things I really highlighted for them is I said this is the most you know obvious progression in the human in the human evolution. And and there are even genes that have been tied to that the same genes that are tied to autism are the same ones that caused human evolution. And so. You know, it's this is part of how we're growing as humanity. So, of course, we want to steer into that and use all these beautiful new talents that we're developing as a human race. Right. Mm. And everybody has challenges. Everybody has things that they're not good at. So that's all it is on the disability side of of neurodiversity. And a lot of times it's sadly social disability, not so much the medical um, It is in that society has gone. We're not here for that. We don't like this, you know, boot to that. And so when you let go of the social disability, a lot of this elevates. Mm. So it's, but it's, it's really fun. And it's, and it's, plus it's cool. Like when you just start getting all these people with all these different mindsets of the same room and just really letting the mask come off and letting them go, the most amazing, fun, cool things happen. And it's really funny and, and um, incredibly energizing mm. to watch. Oh. It is. Oh, so good. So good. So uh, I've got a, a couple of questions for you. I like to ask everyone. So the first one's this: What's the biggest secret you wish wasn't a secret at all? What's that one thing that you wish everybody watching or listening today knew? Oh gosh, I would say that responding in curiosity, not ego, will accelerate not only your life but your career in ways that you could never imagine. So wow. break your own ego mechanism and learn to ask questions not make assumptions and not feel the need to have everything be the way that you've learned it. Just learn from everything and everybody at all times. Wow. Yeah, that's so true. And, and it's that separation, right? Separating the the stimulus from the response. So Victor right. Frankl, I think, yeah, is the last great human freedom. And, uh, and, and I think it's such a big part of, uh, even tying it back to what you said earlier on this idea of psychological safety, when we don't approach things this way, I found it's almost impossible to create an environment for any extended period of time that is safe. 100%. Yes, absolutely. When you shut people down, and, and a lot of times we do it unintentionally, right? And yeah. people, when I say ego mechanism, people get kind of defensive and I'm like, no, everybody has it. We're all bored with it. We just have to learn when to turn it off, right? Yeah, yeah and, that's it right there. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay, no, no, brain, we're safe. We don't need this. Thank you so much. You know, I can, I can ask a question. This is okay. Yeah. Um, and, and just, and just to, and when you start to learn from people, just the way that that changes you and the way that you can start to think in new ways and you, and your mind is then able to process in a completely, at a completely different level. And we start climbing that Maslow's hierarchy pyramid, you know, and it's, it's fascinating. We just open up in a whole new ways. It's extraordinary. Yeah. Yeah. So true. 
All right. One more question for you here, and then I want to make sure folks know how they can get in touch with you. So uh, take off your HR you know, recruiting consultant hat, speaker hat, put on your CEO hat. And, and talk to us, what's the next stage of growth look like for you as a leader and what challenge we have to overcome to get there? Oh, gosh, I I because apparently I don't have enough going on in my life. I decided to start this whole uh, kind of neurodiversity of uh, uh, cultivation and unleashing project uh, called the Neuroverse. And so that's my next big jump. We're going to be doing a lot, providing a lot of resources. We're going to be having events, community uh, opportunities and projects all around neurodiversity and promoting a fully neuroinclusive world. And uh, to get there, I'm going to need all the cool people along the way, a huge tribe, which I already have a wonderful one, but an ever-expanding tribe. And I am going to have to definitely um, focus on just letting the visionary side of me take over and drive and then handing off, you know, delegating past that, which can be very hard for me. I can be kind of a control freak. And that's what I've got to do. <laughs> Oh my goodness. I, I absolutely love it. Uh, sign me up. Uh, I want to know more. Uh, and and on that note, um, how can folks get in touch with you? How can they, they uh, hear more about this project and, uh, and, and what you do as a speaker as well? Right. Absolutely. So reach out to me on LinkedIn. I'm very easy to find there and I'm always on LinkedIn. Uh, you can message me direct. You can go to my speaker site, which is kmccordspeaking.com. You can go to the neuro, join the neuroverse.org and that's neuroverse in E-U-R-O-V-E-R-S-E. Um, and so you can go to that site or you can go to my professional site, which is titanmanagementusa.com. Fantastic. Well, we'll drop all of those in the links below uh, so you can grab each one. Uh, please, please, please go check it out. You will not be disappointed. Well, Catherine, thank you so much for being on the show. What an honor and privilege. And for those of you watching and listening today, you know that you, you you mean the world to us. Your time and attention go without saying. And so I hope you got as much out of this conversation as I know I did. And I cannot wait to see you next time. Take care. Scott Ritzheimer here. Thank you so much for listening to the Secrets of High Demand Coaches podcast. If you are a successful coach, consultant, or advisor who's built a strong book of business and would like to be on the program, please visit go.scalearchitects.com. And if you got something out of this interview, would you share this episode on social media and just do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend or post it on the socials? If you know someone who'd be a great guest, you can tag them on social media to let them know about the show. And make sure you include the hashtag high demand coaching. I love seeing your posts. I love seeing your guest suggestions. Thank you so much. We are regularly putting out new episodes and content to make sure you don't miss any of those episodes. Go ahead and subscribe now. Your thumbs up, your ratings, your reviews, they go a long way to help us promote the show and they mean a lot to me and my team. If you want to know more, you can go to our website, www.scalearchitects.com, or you can follow me or the company on LinkedIn, Facebook, or Instagram. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time.